0: Mark, chapter 8, verse 34. Mark, chapter 8, verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them... Who is the he? Real quick. Jesus. Thank you. Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I have a question for you guys, and that question is, who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? As you look at the trajectory of your life, who are you becoming? How are the decisions that you are making about your time, about your money, about your family, your job? How are all those things shaping your future? Sociologists have said we're nothing more than a culmination of our habits and decisions. What kind of habits and decisions are being shaped in you? What are they shaping in you? If you were to look at yourself in 20 years like with the decisions and the habits that are present in your life. If you were to look at yourself in 20 years, who are you becoming? Now, as a follower of Jesus, this is a crucial question to grapple with uh, because the question gets a little more specific. It It goes from a more broad question, who are you becoming, to a little bit more specific. Are you on track to become more like Jesus? Through your person and personality, yes. Or are you on track to become something or someone else? Are you on track to become more like Jesus? Or are you on track to become something or someone else? We've been in this series in the book of 1 Corinthians for the last few months, and we'll pick back up again there next month. Uh, But as a church, we're also on this like multi-year journey, unpacking this concept of practicing the way of Jesus together. And the big idea is to follow Jesus. This is how we define, as a church, this is how we define what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus is to apprentice under Jesus. Which is to orient your whole life around three primary goals. To be with Jesus to become like Jesus and to do the things he did. This is phraseology and terminology we come back to frequently. We actually did a really long teaching series uh, this time last year around this idea of apprenticing under Jesus, following Jesus. And this concept or this idea or framework came from how Jesus himself called people to himself in the New Testament and how he called them to leave their lives, deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow him. And we started to invest what does it actually mean to follow Jesus? What was Jesus meaning when he would say, follow me? And to do to understand and to wrap our mind around how Jesus was calling disciples to himself, we went back to when Jesus was calling his disciples to himself and under what framework and context Jesus was actually doing that. And so this word disciple has actually a really layered and weighty meaning in the Bible. First of all, it is not a, a new term that Christianity invented it's not something Jesus invented Jesus grabbed a hold on to an existing framework that was alive in Judaism in the first century and even a few hundred years before then maybe even earlier and this word disciple in Hebrew is the word Talmudin and it comes from this word Talmud which literally means instruction Talmud means instruction. And so Talmudin literally means of instruction, someone of instruction. In the Greek, it's this word matheteus, uh, and that's how we get the word disciple. Either in Hebrew or Greek, it's translated into disciple, and it simply means to be a student, a learner, a disciple, or actually probably the best English word we might have is apprentice, is apprentice. So when you think of apprentice, what do you think of? You think of like a, a rookie in a trade, Spending time under someone else who's like a master at something. Yeah, so like think a carpenter, think a plumber, an electrician. Uh, For those of you who are photographers, you weren't born with an amazing eye knowing how to shoot your Canon 5D. Like you probably spent time with somebody else who was farther along than you teaching you how to do what you do. If you're a graphic designer, you probably had spent time with someone who is a little bit farther along than you. I know whenever I try to do design work, usually Ben gets a bunch of text messages from me asking how to do this thing in Photoshop, and he helps me. He's the master, and I'm the apprentice. Like, in a lot of areas of life, you are apprenticing somebody for something, whether you're new at your job, whether you're learning how to be parents for the first time, learning how to be married for the first time, chances are there are older, wiser people in your life that you look to for wisdom and mentoring. The same idea here in the first century with Jesus. If you were a Jewish male in particular, so Jesus was Jewish, that was the context in which he was born, raised, and actually taught. If you were a Jewish man, it was the pinnacle of all of life to be an apprentice of a rabbi, right? They, they were the tops. If you were Jewish, and so as you're thinking about raising your son or something, what you hoped for, like what was the absolute top of, of the scale, the best possible scenario was that your son became an apprentice of a rabbi, particularly like maybe a famous rabbi, a really influential rabbi. And so Jesus grabs a hold of that same framework To help us understand what it means following him. Now as a disciple or as an apprentice to a rabbi, you had three primary goals. And the first goal was to be with your rabbi. This was not a job, it was not a hobby, and it was not a class or something you did on your side time or Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. This was all of life. You were with your rabbi. It was a 24-7 thing. You were with your rabbi all day, every day. If they traveled from town to town, you traveled from town to town. If they had some residency in a a synagogue, you would have that same residency in a synagogue with them. Your goal was to be with your rabbi first and foremost. Secondly, your goal was to become like your rabbi. right? So as a, a Jewish man apprenticing under a rabbi, you would learn to talk like your rabbi talked. You would dress like your rabbi dressed. You would respond to questions like your rabbi responded to questions. Everything about how your rabbi did everything you were aiming to mimic. You wanted to be a carbon copy of your rabbi. That was the goal. And thirdly is to do what your rabbi did. Right? The whole point of apprenticeship was that one day you'd yourself become a master or a rabbi in this context. If you're an electrician and you're an apprentice as an electrician, your goal is not to be an apprentice forever, but to eventually become a master electrician and have your own apprentices. Same idea with the rabbi. You wanted to do what your rabbi did. You wanted to eventually like leave the nest and have your own apprentices. That was the goal, that you'd go off and make your own disciples. That's the context. That is the context in which Jesus was calling people to, quote, Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. Follow me. This was the context. When Jesus was calling people to himself, people like fishermen, like tax collectors, like doctors, they dropped everything and followed him. You guys ever think it's strange that for like three years, 12 dudes did nothing else but follow Jesus around and try to do what he did? It would not have been strange for Jesus' time and place. This would have been totally normal. Now, back to 2019 in Ventura, following Jesus has not changed. To follow Jesus is to apprentice Jesus, the rabbi, is to apprentice under Jesus, which is to orient your life around those same three primary goals, is to be with Jesus. This is the baseline for our whole relationship, is to be with him. This is the first and most important goal. The best part about following Jesus is Jesus to enjoy him, to have relationship with him, to commune with him, to talk with him, to be near him, that he is with you always and forever, he says at the end of Matthew. But that's not all. The second goal is the same, is to become like Jesus, right? Out of that place of abiding in him, the goal is to become like him. So for for some of you who've maybe grown up in the church, this might have been called sanctification or uh, spiritual formation or maturity or growth. Whatever you want to call it, it's the same idea. Paul called it growing in Christ or growing in maturity, keeping in step with the Spirit. Same idea that you would become like Jesus. And your third goal, what probably freaks most of you out the most, is to do what Jesus did. Same goal. As a rabbi would have done with apprentices, Jesus is training you to do the things he did. He said you'll go on to do even greater works than these to his disciples. Right? The goal of being with Jesus, becoming like him, is not to know a lot about Jesus. That's fantastic. That's not the point. Right? The point of reading your Bible is not to know a lot of the Bible, but it's to be with God. Those things are great. But the goal is that you yourself would be the kind of person who is with him, becoming like him, and actually doing the things that he did here and now through your person and personality in your time and in your place. And so one or two times per year, we'll actually take a pause from what you're doing and use this framework to press into one of these spiritual practices or spiritual disciplines that Christians have been using for thousands of years to cultivate a relationship with God, transformation in our own life, and kingdom impact here on earth. And so that's what we are doing today. And what we're honing in on and diving into is prayer, right? Arguably one of the most foundational spiritual practices and disciplines we have to not only be with God but to grow to become like him and to do what he is doing. And we started in on this at Anthem Summit this year. So if you know, if you were there, you got a little bit of a primer for where we're heading. And there was actually, uh, I think, somewhere upwards of like 12 to 15 incredible people who were teaching classes and leading workshops on different aspects of prayer. Vanessa was doing one of them. George did another one. We had people from our other two churches leading them as well. Uh, And so if you'd like to actually go back and listen or watch some of that stuff, we have them online online. Uh, but we actually kind of started in on this. And what we said at Summit was this is not going to be like a shot to the arm, but something we actually want to keep coming back to and growing in together. Because if we are honest, for many of us, prayer is a weak point in our discipleship to Jesus. For many of us. Particularly those of us in the room who are, this, you know, this is everybody, but particularly those of us in the room who are under the age of 40, Where discipline, rhythm, and structure are the enemy, not a friend, prayer is a weak point in our discipleship to Jesus. Many of us don't really enjoy prayer. We feel bad or even guilty about how little we do pray. And when we finally do make time to pray, we often don't know what to pray for or we're so distracted we can't focus. Does that describe anybody else in the room other than me? Have you ever experienced some of those feelings around prayer? Now what is absolutely fascinating is for Jesus, prayer was central to life with God. Prayer was absolutely foundational and central to life with God. That's why prayer was such a big deal for Jesus and why it seems like he thinks it's a big deal for you to grow in prayer. And often we pray from this place of duty But what if Jesus meant for more than that? What if prayer was this awesome and profound tool to actually grow to becoming like him? This tool to be with him and to actually do the things Jesus did. See, for Jesus, prayer wasn't duty. He seemed to genuinely enjoy his father's presence. So often in the four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see that Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. That it was life-giving. It was somehow like sustaining him for the ministry that he was doing and for the life he was leading. And maybe, just maybe, that is why when his disciples saw him pray, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. Flip over to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples. They saw something about how Jesus prayed and they said, we want a piece of that. That looks desirable. I want that. Jesus came away from time with the Father and his disciples' immediate reaction was, Lord, teach us how to pray. How do you do that? How can I do that? Can I do that? And Jesus responds, if you Even just skimming down the rest of Luke chapter 11 with the Lord's Prayer, which is less of a liturgy to recite, although that can be helpful, but more of a template or flow to pray into and to lean into. A posture of knowing that we pray to a good Father who's always listening and ready to respond. For Jesus, prayer is the center point of life with God. And it's our opportunity to interact with the creator God and participate with him in his work of bringing redemption to earth. Jesus knew that and he models that for you and I today. Lord, teach us to pray is this profound question. Because the disciples saw something about how Jesus enjoyed his relationship with the father and wanted that same relationship. Remember, the point of praying is not that you pray, but it's to be with God. Become like him and do what he did. A lot of people define prayer as simply talking with God, and I think that's actually a, a helpful definition. There's a lot more to it. There can be a lot more to it, but it's this back and forth conversation that comes out of a depth of relationship with God. But even at a more basic level, prayer in Scripture is also kind of this junk drawer term for all of our relationship with the Father. Sort of a shorthand for encompassing our relationship with him. Jesus had a deep relationship with the Father and a vibrant and consistent praying life was a part of that. And as we're looking to Jesus as our example, we see he often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Look through the biographies of Jesus. Right before big moments of Jesus' life, you'll see frequently he got away and prayed. Sometimes got away, prayed, and fasted. Sometimes brought his disciples with him to pray. Sometimes he went alone in solitude. Jesus was intentional. He made time, and it didn't happen by accident. Jesus was intentional. I like to think what's good enough for Jesus is good enough for me. If Jesus thought it was important enough to be intentional about our praying life, then it is absolutely crucial to you and I. And if this is a topic that bores you, ask the Holy Spirit to convict you. If you think it is boring to talk with the creator of the universe, ask the Holy Spirit to change your heart. If this is something that you immediately think of prayer and you think of duty, you think of routine, you think of something that is jury, ask God to change your heart. Because you are lacking. I know that sounds really harsh, but it is true. When my prayer life suffers, my life lacks. When my prayer life is flourishing and thriving, I could not be more joyful and satisfied in Him. How can we grow to become more like Jesus, who genuinely enjoyed a deep and good relationship with the Father through and in prayer? And so what I want to do this morning is to tee up our next couple of weeks is talk about how we change into becoming more like Jesus when we think about prayer, in our prayer life, through our prayer life. How do we actually engage this process? Because chances are, at one point or another in your life, you felt either excited or convicted, woke up one morning and said, I need to pray more. I need to pray more. And that lasts a day, maybe a week. Maybe a month if you're really disciplined. How many guys have ever like done a New Year's resolution and part of that New Year's resolution is to pray more? Maybe pray for other people. Maybe like pray individually more, pray as a family more or whatever. And, and that lasts a week, two weeks. If you're really good a month. But it starts to fade and drop away. And I believe it's because we misunderstand how we actually change. We misunderstand how to cultivate better and new rhythms and habits into our life. And we think transformation can just happen to us because we want it to. How many of you guys have woke up one morning and been like, okay, I'm not satisfied with my life the way things are. I don't, I'm not satisfied with my job. I'm not satisfied with my relationship with my spouse or how I parent my kids. And then you do nothing about it, and then you wake up in the morning frustrated about the state of all those same things all over again. Like, oh, what happened? I really want to change. And then you go to sleep and you wake up, and you're like, ah, nothing's different. And you get frustrated. And you get discouraged. You blame God. You blame someone else. I can't change because of this or that person. Oh, God must not really be doing anything in me. He must not hear my prayers. He must not whatever. We just sit there and think transformation will just happen to you. And the picture of the New Testament is actually quite different than that. The transformation does not just happen to you. The picture we get from the New Testament of those who follow Jesus is one of constant and continual change and transformation to be more like Jesus. The promise which you and I fail to experience regularly is full-on transformation from the inside out daily. Right 2 Corinthians Paul says to, to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 3 and we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit This idea that daily you are being transformed by it from the inside out beholding the glory of God from one degree of glory to another and throughout scripture, and particularly the New Testament, we find that transformation or growing into the likeness of Christ is not only the goal, but the expectation of the Christian life. Did you know that? It's not only the goal, it's not just wishful thinking, it's not just for super Christians or trained seminarians, but the goal for every single follower of Jesus is to be transformed. And it's not just the goal, it's the expectation. The New Testament writers seem to think because you have the Holy Spirit in you, there should be regular change into becoming more like Jesus. And as disciples of Jesus, that predestined purpose in our life is to be conformed into the image of Jesus. But that doesn't just happen to you. It takes participation and intentionality. It takes participation and intentionality. One of the great church fathers, Augustine, once wrote, Without him, we can't. But without us, he won't. Often, we think transformation will just happen to us if we want it enough. But 2 Peter 1 says to make every effort to be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. Make every effort. That makes some of you really reformed people in the room a little uncomfortable. Make every effort. You have work to do. But in Romans 8, we see that God's already on about work in you, predestined work in you to make you into something. And Philippians 1 6 says, God will actually finish the good work in you that He has already started. And throughout Scripture, we have this tension of your work and God's work at play together. Flip over to Philippians chapter 2. We're all over the place today. You guys can hang. Philippians chapter 2. Remember, God eats popcorn. There you go. Philippians. Philippians 2, verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my absence, in my presence, but much more my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Obey and work out to action words that require you to do something. Transformation will not just happen to you. Participation, intentionality. Obey, work out. Look at verse 13. For it is God who works in you, both to will and work for his good pleasure. Notice the tension there. God is at work, and you are at work together. Some of you are frustrated because you are not changing, and it's for one of two reasons. You're trying to do it all yourself and not depend on Jesus for change and transformation in your life, or you're expecting God to do everything, and you're not lifting a finger to actually grow into the image of Jesus. And there's this beautiful tension here that God's at work and you're at work. God was at work long before you making it possible for you to join him, but you still have a role to play. Just because God's doing the heavy lifting in your life doesn't mean you're off the hook. It means you have role, responsibility, intentionality, and participation in your own growth and sanctification. To further drive this deeper, Paul uses the word put on a lot. In multiple letters, he's talking about putting on the things of Christ. And it's this Greek word, it means, it's enduyo, and it means to sink into. It's like putting on your your favorite pair of pants or your shoes every day. Like you you just sink into that stuff. It's grabbing your favorite jacket and immediately going, oh, it's, it's the most comfortable jacket I have. It has all the pockets I want. Like the zipper never breaks or never catches. It's like you're sinking into something that fits really, really well. And he says to the Romans in Romans 13, put on the Lord Jesus Christ, but make no provision for the flesh. To the Ephesians, he says, put on the new self. Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And this is a really interesting one in Colossians 3. He says, Don't lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, past tense, you have put off the old self with its practices. And have, verse 10, put on. Still past tense. You have put off and you have put on. But look what's not past tense. The new self, which is being renewed, to be renewed and continue to be renewed. It's the same verbiage Paul uses about the Holy Spirit, be filled and keep on being filled. It's the same language around repentance, repent and keep on repenting. Same verbiage here. You're renewed and you're being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. According to Paul, these things don't just happen to us, you put them on. You've put them on once and for all when you said yes to Jesus, to following him, and you put them on daily, the things of Christ, making no provision for the flesh. Something has happened once and for all. Jesus saved us, brought us into the family, and now we engage in a lifelong journey of transformation, which is not only the goal, but the expectation of the Holy Spirit's work in you. Meaning, if we want to grow in our praying life, it won't just happen because you want it to happen. And it especially won't happen if you don't really care about it. It won't just happen to you. We need to engage the Holy Spirit in this kind of change. We are intentional here at Anthem about our formation into the image and likeness of Jesus. We do these series from time to time about how we are being formed because just by waking up, you are being formed into something and someone else. Whether you like it or not, The forces at play in this world are way too strong, and just by hitting the snooze for the fifth time, pulling yourself out of bed, and getting a start on your day, you are being shaped and transformed. Don't raise your hand, uh, but how many of you guys look at your phone first thing when you wake up in the morning? Not asking you to raise your hand so you can't lie to yourself, you know? I, I do it all the time, by the way. It's an addiction to pop open immediately the news app, to like immediately get rid of emails I don't need to see and flag the ones I do and to start reading the news and I have to be informed about the day. And it starts because you set your alarm on your phone, which I do as well, and then you hit snooze and you hit snooze and you hit snooze and you finally reach over to turn it off and then you slide up to open it. And then an hour later you're laying in bed and your arm kind of hurts because you're laying on this side and scrolling on that side and you are immediately shaped by something other than God. Now, if you reach over to your phone and you open the Bible app and you start, well done, well done, good for you. That's probably not what's actually happening, though. We are always being formed into something, passively or actively. And I bring this up because as we talk about how to become more like Jesus, we have to realize the forces at work causing you to not be like Jesus. Martin Luther, uh, the great reformer, categorized this in these really classic categories as the the enemies of, of all spiritual growth, the enemies of all sanctification, becoming more like Jesus as the world, the flesh, and the enemy. The world, the culture we live in, right? So every time you open the news app, every time you open Instagram, every time you just walk outside your house, the world is shaping you into something or someone. Yourself, you have internal, like, carnal desires that are not good or bad necessarily, but unchecked, they will go after your self-happiness and self-preservation over everything and anything else. The world, the flesh, and the enemy. There is an enemy at work. Satan and his demons want you to not be like Jesus. And he will use every tool in his toolbox to keep you off the mission of God. These are strong forces. And the question is not, are you being formed, but who or what are you being formed into? Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? With the habits and decisions and choices in your life, what kind of person are you growing into? Are you on track to become Jesus expressed through your person and personality or something or someone else? Now we're doing this because we as a church believe we actually want to be shaped into the image of Jesus. And if you're still listening to me this morning, it's because you have some amount of interest in becoming more like Jesus and not unchecked with the world, your flesh, and the enemy will turn you into. Because the invitation of Scripture is to counter that unintentional formation of the world with intentional formation by the Holy Spirit to be shaped into the character and image of Jesus. So, That's how we're being shaped. How do we actually change to become like Jesus? How do we rebuff and refute the forces at work in the world, the flesh, and the enemy to become more like Jesus? How do we actually say no to those other things and choose to be shaped by something or someone different? How do we engage in this lifetime process of changing to become like Jesus? So, This is the how. I just gave you a lot of the why. Switch hats. Put on the how hat. Like I gave you some why because this is what it means to be a disciple, to be with him, become like him, and do what he did. There are forces at work trying to pull you away from the transformation that God wants to do in your life. And we know we have a role to play. The Holy Spirit has a role to play. And this world, our own flesh, and the enemy will try to take us away from that. How do we actually counter all of that stuff and press into the person Jesus wants us to be? How do we become like Jesus? Now, classically, uh, if you've been hanging around the church world for any length of time, this might have been known as spiritual formation or growth or sanctification. Uh, but it doesn't matter what your heritage we're all We're all getting at the same thing. So use whatever language is helpful to you. For me, spiritual formation is helpful. But for you, swap in whatever language is helpful because the end goal is the same. The end goal is to become like Jesus. And we're talking about the process by which we change to become more like Jesus. Now, if you guys uh, were tracking with us last year, you might remember my, my triangle. Uh, We start with a triangle, an intentional spiritual formation here, this little shape to help us remember how we change. Now, we stole this from someone we love, who stole it from someone else we love, who eventually stole it from Dallas Willard. Uh, But these ideas and concepts have been around since the Reformation and even some of the Catholic mystics before then, all the way back to the disciples and how we think about Scripture. This is not new, but it's just packaged in a way to help us remember a little bit. So intentional spiritual formation starts with a little triangle, and the top of that triangle is teaching. So what I'm doing right now, what you show up for most every single Sunday, in part, is to be formed by Scripture. Right? It's undermining the false stories of this world with Scripture. It's choosing to look at Jesus' picture and idea of the good life in the kingdom and not the good life that our world tries to tell us. It's helping us understand and comprehend the Scriptures as the baseline authority for our life. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your what? Mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. It takes no effort to believe the stories of the world. Absolutely no effort. It takes no effort to be shaped by culture. You just have to wake up in the morning. But it takes effort and intentionality to actually see our entire world through the lens of Scripture. It takes thoughtful effort and engagement to see it all through the lens of Scripture. The New Testament writers uphold teaching really high as crucial to our formation because there are false stories being told about the world and about where meaning and hope is found in the world. And we need Scripture to ground us and guide us. The psalmist says, it is a light to my path. Teaching. Second part of the triangle is practice. This is going to take a lifetime of practice. Have you ever experienced a gap between what you know and what you do? Have you ever experienced that gap? It's called cognitive dissonance, by the way. It's just a gap between things you know or believe and how you actually live your life. My uh best friend, uh, a guy named Josh, some of you guys know he's out in Denver right now planting a church um, and I lived with him for a really long time and while I was living with him, uh, he just had all these like adverse reactions to it it felt like everything he had like gut problems, he had like weird skin problems like just his body wasn't working properly. so he eventually went to an allergist and they, you know, they do all the, the long list of tests to find out everything your body repels, you know, anything from just like you know, small allergies to like full-on intolerance or maybe autoimmune issues that are going on. And he got his results back and it was crazy. It was like 25, 30 things. It was really long, right? Like anything from strawberries and black pepper to on the really intense side, like dairy products, cheese and stuff. And, and everywhere in between. He's a, the guy's allergic to everything. Now, what is really funny about that story is when he first came home and told me about the results of the allergy and how he like really shouldn't have weed or gluten and he really should be staying away from dairy, is he's eating a piece of pizza like right in front of me. As he's talking about the things he shouldn't be eating, two of those things are on the pizza slides that he's eating. Walking cognitive dissonance. He knows avoiding these things will objectively make his life better, and yet he's still choosing that old stuff. That's what we have to practice. Because there is a disconnect between what we believe and what we actually live. And if we do not address that disconnect, it makes us discouraged. Because we're like, I I really want change and transformation. But you make no decisions in life to actually do that, and then you're frustrated that you're not growing. There are, I don't know how many, countless documentaries on Netflix. Right? Like enough for any particular issue, and we have a, a friend who likes to just watch Netflix documentaries to get riled up about something. Like I just need some fire in my life, I just want to watch something and get fired up about a documentary. Now when, when they watch that particular documentary, whatever it may be, forks over knives, blackfish, they're not actually changing their eating pattern, so they're not actually like not going to SeaWorld, or whatever the thing is, like you plug in a Netflix documentary and you get mentally all fired up about something and not actually change anything in your life. And just continue being fed like new information. But if it doesn't change how you live, you will be frustrated by it. We read this into our life with Jesus and it's really damaging. in how we view our discipleship or apprenticeship to Jesus. And that is honestly the danger with doing a series like this. Where we talk a lot about prayer but never actually change our prayer life. Jesus said in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord and do not do what I tell you? Dallas Willard in his book The Great Omission says the missing thing and one of the greatest problems in the world is that Christians in the Great Commission forget to actually obey Jesus. We'll teach, we'll baptize, we know he's with us, we'll go out to the nations but not actually obey him. This is not about trying hard, this idea of practice, but about training really hard. Think of learning to play an instrument or running a marathon. There is training required to do that thing well. And we are invited into a life partnering with the Holy Spirit of training to become more like Jesus. Author up in San Francisco, Mark Scandretti, says, You can't learn karate by watching. It's one of my favorite quotes in the world. You can't learn karate by watching. And we can't learn to follow Jesus without practicing to do what he did and taught. Jesus didn't just communicate information or ideas, but he declared, I am the way. And invited his disciples into a new life that was fueled and inspired by his example, teaching, and sacrifice. As we grow to become more like Jesus in prayer, we are going to be practicing. This is not just a teaching series where you learn new knowledge on a Sunday and then kind of go off to lunch and be like, cool, what's next week? But you're actually going to be practicing. There will be a few projects to engage with over the next couple of weeks. And for some of you, that sounds intimidating or a little scary uh, or new for you. That's okay. We are all learning together. So in your community groups, there's going to be a couple of projects to experiment with the next couple of weeks. And there's going to be some projects for you to actually work out and flesh out individually on your own as well. We'll get into that at the very end. But no, practicing is a crucial component. Why do you call me Lord, Lord and not do what I tell you? Jesus really wasn't super concerned with them hearing a good message and a good teaching from him. He was concerned with them actually doing what he said. Okay, a next part of this triangle. So teaching, practice, community. You can't do this alone. Jesus didn't have disciple. He had disciples. We cannot follow Jesus alone. Not even you. Nobody is the exception. You cannot follow Jesus alone. The Christian life was never meant to be lived alone. Engaging in these common activities of worship, study, prayer, celebration, and service with other disciples of Jesus is something Jesus himself embraced and modeled for us. Right, This pattern that we get into to isolate when life gets hard is counter-Scripture. When life gets hard, I pull back. When life gets hard, I don't go to my community group. I don't reach out. I don't actually, like, try to engage with other people. That is counter the way of Jesus. Opposite. It's opposite day when you do that. When life gets hard, the gospel pushes us towards other people. You definitely know it's going to be harder. It's going to cost you more. It's going to be a sacrifice. It is counter-cultural to press into community when life gets hard. That's what scripture calls us to. Community exposes and encourage, encourages us. It exposes all the ways that we are still putting on the old self. Like a sponge being squeezed, it leaks out of you. You spend enough time with somebody else and they will start to see all the ways that you're not as awesome as you think you are. But it also encourages us. It leads us towards the good life that Jesus talks about as well. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 10 says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works and not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some. What a snarky, like, little add-in. Have you guys ever noticed that's a little snarky? Is it just me? We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. Some think it was Paul and a sermon he was giving to one of the churches that he was, and that's why it's kind of free-flowing and is as is the habit of some. But encouraging one another all the more as you see the day, the capital D day, drawing near. We can choose our friendships and our relationships so we can pick the people who are like us, dress like us, talk like us, vote like us, and never really be challenged to grow. You just keep getting reaffirmed in your little echo box of of likeness. However, you don't get to choose community most often. You're thrown into a room or thrown into a church that people that are different than you, dress different than you, that are a different age, different life stage, maybe even vote different than you, make different decisions about their money, time, and family than you, and we're all rubbing together, sharpening each other, annoying each other, helping each other grow. You don't always get to choose the people you're in community with. It's sometimes hard. It's hard to be in a room with people who will call you on your stuff and actually see all the ways your old self is leaking through. And community is mandatory if you want to experience transformation. It absolutely is. Isolation is not the key. Community is a key facet to how we grow, particularly with prayer. If you're struggling with praying alone or struggling with praying in groups, doesn't matter. Regardless, we need each other to grow in this area. Now, the other piece of the triangle here, right in the middle, is the Holy Spirit. Lest we think we can do all of this on our own with a good podcast, some good rhythms in life, and good friends to be around, we need the Holy Spirit to do anything. We need the Holy Spirit to do anything. And the goal here is that the Holy Spirit becomes the dominant voice and reality over the voice of your environment. Right? This is the baseline for all transformation, is that we have to have a different source of input to believe. Being with Jesus is the foundational relational context for becoming like Jesus. There is no there is no genuine spiritual formation apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. None. I don't care how many scriptures you read in the morning. There is no genuine spiritual formation apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in you. It's why Jesus says in John 15, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do oh, nothing. I think we believe apart from him we can do some things. I think you buy into that as well. That apart from Jesus we can like, do our job pretty well. Apart from Jesus we can budget really well. Or we can like, figure out our kids at least until they start asking questions about Jesus. We can figure out our kids. Jesus seems to think apart from him, we can't do anything. Do you believe that? Apart from me, you can do nothing. And this all happens over time. Through what the writer James calls, trials of various kinds. Right? I think we often want like microwave discipleship when it's more like slow cooker discipleship over time i just mentally right now compare like a nice piece of like pork shoulder sitting in the crock pot for eight hours simmering marinating versus like a microwave pizza three minutes done which one takes longer crock pot slow cooker which one tastes better unless you're crazy it's the pork shoulder or if you're a vegetarian, throw veggies in there, all right? Whatever, like, just the slow, marinating over time, like the work that's done in food when it's cooked slow is so much better than the flash in the pan. Same thing with our discipleship. There, there may be moments where the Lord accelerates something in your life, and those are beautiful, amazing moments, but by and large, this is long obedience in the same direction. James says in James 1, Count it all joy, my brothers and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. What does that word, various, mean? All kinds. Everything. Everything under the sun. Various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect, complete, and lacking what? Lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. The hardest, most difficult moments can be moments that shape you like crazy. And I say they can be... Because when life comes in trials of various kinds, you can either choose to pursue Jesus in it or get mad at God for it. One will grow you, one will stunt you. In our hardest moments, instead of distraction or numbing or getting mad at God, how about we partner with the Holy Spirit to use every trial of various kinds in the course of our life to grow us and shape us to become more like Jesus? As we continue to live this life and make decisions we make to become who we are becoming, prayer is a vital tool in our toolbox to align ourselves with our creator, to better live the way we were created. And today is a step in that journey. No matter where you are starting from when you think about prayer, today can be a step in that journey of growth. You see, in Scripture, transformation is not only possible, not only promised, not only expected. The one thing it's not is inevitable. If you sit back, do nothing, it is not inevitable that you will change to become more like Jesus. Jesus' work opens the door to real transformation in our life. So we engage the Holy Spirit in our lives to become more like him. We don't just sit there enjoying our fire insurance. And if there is a hell, we won't actually go there because we said yes to Jesus once. That just opens the door to a whole life of transformation partnered up with the work of the Holy Spirit. So that's big picture, how we change. How do we actually grow, take some steps in growing in prayer? How do we actually become like Jesus as we grow in prayer? How do we grow in prayer by becoming like Jesus? Jesus. So to help you take some steps this week, we're getting ultra practical. Ultra, ultra practical. So if, if the beginning of this sermon was some of the why, and the second part was some of the big picture, how we actually change and engage this process of change in our life, this last little bit is severely practical. Ruthlessly practical in your life, because we want to give you some steps to actually move forward, right? Wherever you're at, we want to push you forward, staying where you're at, is not where you're called to be in the context of growing in our prayer life. So, I have a couple of things for you guys. First, I have a couple of projects to try on your own. Okay? Projects. This is like homework. If you're a note-taking kind of person, this would be a great time to take a couple of notes, a couple of projects, and then we have something we're going to be doing in, in our community groups as well. This is practice, because the danger is you will leave here going, oh, nice sermon, Bert, and not change. That's the danger. We are overcoming that danger by practice and community, trusting the Holy Spirit to do some work in us. Okay? You guys with me? Cool. Zach's with me. That always feels great, guys. Okay. I know, I know today was a bit like a fire hose. That's all right. I'm trying to tee up some of the framework uh, because the next couple of weeks and the projects we're going to be doing are going to be so rich and I believe transformative for you. Okay. So a few projects on your own. And, uh, you know, A couple of categories of people here. This is not, like, no, I'm not pointing the finger of blame. Just be honest about where you actually are in prayer, okay? Be honest about where you actually, if you don't pray at all, I'm so glad you're here talking about prayer, listening about prayer. If you don't pray at all, my encouragement to you is start small. Like, don't start trying to carve out an hour every morning. Like, if you want to do that, go for it. But that will not be sustainable if you do not pray at all. Start small. If you want a habit of prayer, attach it to a habit you already have. Severely practical, okay? So if you brush your teeth, you got to brush your teeth for two minutes. Two minutes, guys, brush your teeth. No stinky breath on Sundays. If you're brushing your teeth for two minutes and you're mindlessly letting your mind wander, like, spend that time to pray. If you're sitting there, like, making your Chemex in the morning, that's at least five, six minutes if you're brewing that Chemex. Spend that time praying, If you're taking a walk, you take a little 10-15 minute walk at work, get outside, take that time and pray. Just be with the Lord. Taking a coffee break, if you have a commute in a car, how about instead of a podcast or radio, even a sermon, take that time in silence. Maybe flip on a little bit of worship music and just spend some time praying. Just pray. Pray. Start small. If you don't pray at all, start small. Start with a habit you already have. If you want to attach a new habit to your life, start with something you're already doing. This is practical, right? Severely practical. Okay. If you pray a little, like a little bit, and you want to take another step forward, keep a list of prayers and see how God answers them. Seeing God's faithfulness increases our faith in him. This is a project our community group does on and off. At best, I would like to say we do it really regular, but we do it on and off, is we have a list of all the answered prayer we're keeping in a notebook together. And it's really encouraging as we look back and say, oh man, we prayed for this, we prayed for this, we prayed for this. God answered all those things. How easy is it to pray for something, see that God answers it, and to move on and forget it? Or worse yet, attribute it to something else. Like keep a list of prayers. I know some of you guys have like really vibrant prayer journals where you're actually tracking how God answers those things. That is amazing. If you pray a little, just start writing down some of your prayers and writing down when they get answered. Nothing will give you more motivation to pray than to know you have a Father who likes to respond to you. A God who actually talks back and works. Because nothing's worse than praying and feeling like you're just hitting the ceiling up here. But if you actually are tracking the things you're asking for, and seeing how they're being answered is incredibly encouraging and motivating. It'll be exciting. It'll be like a game to you. It'll be exciting. It'll be this crazy motivation. Okay, if you don't pray at all, if you don't pray a little. If you struggle with being distracted, which is none of you guys in this room, I know that, but just in case you have friends who struggle with being distracted in life, this is from uh, the life of George Mueller. He, there's this great story I'm not going to go into, but he, he basically says he was having a hard time praying. The, George Mueller, guys, ran these epic orphanages in Britain, and he was known for his praying life and asking God to provide for the orphanage that he was running. And he said he was having trouble praying. He would wake up and maybe spend the first quarter of an hour or half an hour or even a whole hour just trying to, like, get in the right position or just wake up or keep his mind focused. And he, and he did this, the simple trick. He, he started reading scripture first. This, this is not legalism, okay? This is just a tip, okay? This is not you must do one or the other. This is just a tip. If you struggle with being distracted, start with reading scripture. Begin the practice of what he calls conversing with God about what you found in the word of God. Right? Prayer is spiritual warfare. So the enemy will do anything he can to distract you from it as much as possible. As much as possible. It's not just you have ADD. It's Satan does not want you to pray. Because prayer is spiritual warfare and actually has impact in this world. So a tip from George Mueller who prayed a whole lot is start by reading scripture. One verse, a whole chapter, doesn't matter. Start somewhere and then just start talking to God about what you just read. It has a way of focusing you in and not spending 15 minutes being groggy and trying to think of your list or like rolling over and trying not to fall asleep. Just start by reading a little bit. And talk with God about what you're reading. Okay, if you pray somewhat regularly, my challenge to you, try a bit of liturgy. Try fixed hour prayer. Try something to get you a little more regular. Right? Uh, uh, One thing um, that would be really beneficial, helpful, like a starting point, memorize the Lord's prayer. It's Matthew 6, right? 5, 6. Matthew 6 or Luke 11. Matthew 6 is a little bit of a longer one. We're doing this with Calvin right now. We're trying to help him memorize the Lord's Prayer. Memorize it. Pray through it daily. Memorizing is not as hard as you think it is. It can be done. But memorize it. Pray through it daily. And just take a moment and pause. Our Father. What does it mean that God is our Father? Let your mind wander on that. Good Father. What was my dad like? How is he similar? How is he different? Who's in heaven? What does it mean that God is in heaven but still intimately connected with us? Start working through that, praying through it. The point here is do something that can be regular. If you pray somewhat regularly, do something to increase your regularity. Fixed hour prayer, liturgy, prayer journal, memorizing the Lord's Prayer, these are all really helpful things. Once again, just trying to help you take a step forward in this. We all, no matter how old you are, how good at prayer you are, we all have room to grow. So just trying to help you take a step forward. Okay. And finally, last category: If you pray a lot, there's some of, some of you guys in this room. I trust are praying a lot. I know it. I see it in your life. I not only see it in like your rhythms, but see it in your in your countenance. And and when you say you pray for me, I trust you're actually praying for me. So. For you guys, since you're already stepping into this, I, I, I still want you to grow in something. I still want you to take a step forward in something. None of us are perfect at this until we die and then we get to be with Jesus forever. But until then, we're all, we're all growing and have room to grow. So if you pray a lot, try something that's out of the norm for you. Try it out. Silence, solitude, take a day away. Like Fast. Try intercession, praying for others, like a kind of a discipline, praying for others, right? Maybe, maybe ask the Lord to give you prophetic words for other people. Maybe your prayer life is kind of you and God, and, and engaging others in prophecy can be a way to do that. I'm going to freak some of you guys out right now. Ask the Lord if he would have you start praying in tongues. It just freaks. Some of you guys just wiggled in your seat. Don't worry, we're going to teach on it this summer. And... But honestly, try something out of the norm. Try something out of the norm. By the way, Paul says, don't forbid prophecy and don't despise speaking in tongues. So, like, ask for it. If that's an area you're scared of, ask for it. Try something you don't normally do and see if that's an area where God wants to grow you and stretch you. These are all efforts to help you just take one step forward. Figure out where you are on that list and just try something. Try and see what happens. Try and see what happens and report back to your community group this week. Report back to your spouse, your family. Be like, hey, how did this go okay and in your community groups you'll have a project this week to work on so part of growing is doing this in community so these are all stuff to do on your own and you're actually going to be working through a project in your community groups as well to engage together and grow in prayer together